Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Spooksters, and welcome back to another Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. It is your co-host, Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. And today, I'm going to bring you the update on what's seeming to turn into a plotline of Riverdale. (laughs) For reals. Truly. So we're going to bring you the update on the Jennifer Farber Dulas case. If you... Need a little refresher. If you want a full refresher, I suggest you stop. Go back to a stabby end of January, mid-January. Yeah, it'll have her name on it. Mm -hmm. And get situated. But I'm going to give you like the two-minute version of the synopsis of this case, which is that on May 24th of 2019, Jennifer Dulas took her kids to school, returned home, and then vanished from the face of the earth. Short story is that her estranged husband, Fautas Dulas, was being looked into for her disappearance. They found some evidence of him that he'd been arrested several times. Definitely check out the story about how many times this dude has been arrested. It's pretty crazy. And then on January 6th, 2020, he was arrested for murder, felony murder, and kidnapping in the first degree. Bail was set for $6 million. And even though this dude apparently is the broke joker, he um, somehow got out, which I did find some information on. So I will share that with you guys in a little bit. So he was released from jail on the 9th. And I think that was the day we actually were recording, if I recall. Mm -hmm, I think so. I do want to say that there was something in my research on this update I found about something that happened in December, which made my skin crawl. So I wanted to share at this point, which was that on December 6th, there was a like a reporter was talking about an interview that he gave and he wished Jennifer and her family a happy holidays. Oh, right. So this is his estranged wife who's presumed murdered by him at this point. He is the police's number one suspect. And the fact that he wished her Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays is kind of weird. I could understand if he was really innocent and he was trying to say, like, you know, I really hope that her family can, like, heal during this. Like, I get that. But, like, this was, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Also, in the same news report, they talk about when he went to court with his mother-in-law, he's questioned about, did you pay alimony? 
And he kind of laughed slash chuckled and said, that's not a yes or no question or yes or no answer, which I think is very much a yes or no. Like, did you pay alimony? If you paid a cent in alimony, the answer would be yes. If you didn't pay anything in alimony, then it would be no. But then I believe it was the prosecutor who was questioning him goes, do you find this funny? And like, he's so like, "Mm." He's kind of like that charismatic guy who's like, yeah, nothing's going to really get me down. Like, I'm I'm okay. It's not funny, but like, and I get that. Like some people, and I'm going to say this because I do understand that some people, when they are uncomfortable, they laugh. I do it a lot. But it was kind of like I watched the video of him and it didn't seem like that nervous kind of laughter. It seemed like that, like, (laughs) it's not a yes or no answer. I was like, okay. If you've been following the news at all lately about this case, Fautis actually committed suicide on January 28th, but I want to talk about some of the information that came out of the arrest warrant from 1-6-2020. They basically outline the forensic evidence that they captured from him, and, and one of the sources is actually his arrest warrant. You're welcome. It's 35 pages. Oh, wow. And there's like over 500 pages of like evidence reporting. I did not read through that. I figured the best way to look at this was to go through and look at the arrest warrant because it would have the most condensed information. Right. So in the affidavit of the arrest warrant on Section 5, it's the forensic results from the crime scene evidence. And this is at Jennifer's home in New Haven. There were eight incidents or pieces of evidence that they tested. Seven of them had Jennifer's blood, and one of them had both Jennifer and Fautis's blood, or DNA, I should say. It's DNA match for these ones. And then one was just solely Fautis's. Now, he says that he actually had recently come over to her house for dinner, so maybe that's why his DNA was on the door. But I don't exactly know what the DNA was. It's just like a swabbing from the door, so I don't know. Okay. Under, like, I think it's like Article 14 or the 14th part of the affidavit, 14th section. It says recovery of evidence from Albany Avenue in Hartford, Connecticut. There were 22 pieces of evidence, DNA evidence collected. 19 pieces had Jennifer's DNA on it, four had Fautis's, and two had Michelle Tricconi's. One piece of evidence of that 22 had all three of theirs, and it was on the opening of a bag, like a separate portion of the bag. And it matched, again, all three of their DNA. Which is, to me, is pretty hard to, like, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to deny or explain that. Like, what the fuck was going on with that? Truth. Another thing that they found that I didn't know ahead of time was that they found on surveillance seeing Fautas put something, like a large white-colored item, into, like, a storm drain or, like, a sewer type situation and it turned out to be like a FedEx envelope that had two license plates in it. Mm, That's not sketch. No, not at all. (laughs) But like I said, on Tuesday, January 28th, Fautis was hospitalized in critical condition and he was being treated for carbon monoxide poisoning. Fautis was supposed to go back to court that day to talk about his bond being revoked and he didn't show up. So they dispatched police to his Farmington home. When they arrived, they found him in the garage, sitting in his car with the car running and the door closed. So that's how he would have received the carbon monoxide poisoning. 
They noticed that he was in need of immediate medical attention. The police began CPR. They called an ambulance. He was then taken to a local local hospital and then was immediately airlifted to Jacoby Medical Center in the Bronx. He was put into a hyperbolic chamber, which is how they treat that. And then two days later, on January 30th, he was pronounced dead at 5.32 p.m. His family had come into town to say their goodbyes. They said their goodbyes to him. And then they essentially pulled the plug and decided to donate his organs. Yeah, I guess they would just check that they're not damaged because I'm like with getting carbon monoxide poisoning with that. Well, I think there's certain organs they wouldn't be able to use, like the obviously the brain and like maybe the heart, maybe the lungs. Another thing that the family was really interested in doing is they asked his attorney, Norman Pattis, to file a motion to substitute him as the defendant and put his estate as the defendant to continue on with the murder trial because they wanted to clear his name. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people say that's a hard sell, and I'll talk about that towards the end. But the one thing that Norm really came out the gate saying is that he wanted to make sure that people understood that his suicide was not an admission of guilt. It was just a man who didn't feel that he could go on. I get that point, but I have a lot of mixed feelings about that, and I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But I wanted to read you the suicide note that Fautis left. Okay. So it was dated 128-2020, and it says, All, if you're reading this, I am no more. I refuse to spend even an hour more in jail for something I had nothing, and nothing he kind of capitalized, to do with. Enough is enough. If it takes my head to end this, so be it. I want it to be known that Michelle Traconis had nothing to do with Jennifer's disappearance, and neither did Kent Mawinney. I asked the state to set them free of any such accusations. I also asked the state to stop harassing my friend Andrea, and I couldn't read his handwriting for this last name. I apologize. I just, I couldn't make it out. Yeah, you're fine. Andrea, last name I can't read, and Anna Curry. They are honorable people. Please let my children know I love them and would do anything for them. But unfortunately, we all have our limits. Mm, gonna come back to that statement. The state will not rest until I rot in jail. My attorney can explain what happened with the bags at Albany Avenue. Everything else in the story is fabricated by the law enforcement. I want to thank my family and my friends that stood by me. And I think he meant to say in this difficult time, but he left out the word in. Stood by me this difficult time. Above all, Anna Curry, I'm sorry for letting you down and not continuing to fight the fight. Foutis. So you know ex- the first thing I did was like, who the fuck is Anna Curry? Mm-hmm. She gets a double. Her, his, okay, first and foremost, the, the phrase, please let my kids know I love them and would do anything for them. But unfortunately, we all have our limits. You just told your kids you would do anything for them, but continue on. Right. So you won't do anything for them. Right. And I'm not trying to, like, belittle a dead man here. No. At all. Like, I don't want people to think I'm coming at that. I just have issues. Like, as someone whose biological father didn't really try hard in her life, I've heard a lot of excuses. Mm -hmm. And I did hear, like, I would do anything for you. But, and then an excuse. Yeah. So that's just a trigger for me. Sorry that I am um, projecting my feels onto this, but. It is what happens with humans. So I looked up who Anna Curry is. So Anna Curry is apparently Fautis's best friend, and she is a financial advisor in North Carolina, and she helped make his $6 million bail by writing a $3 million promissory note. 
So now we know how Foutis got out of jail. Wow. So yeah, she did kind of deserve a second, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. or a second mention, because she threw up $3 million. Right. So there's articles out there. There's like five, it's like there's an episode that's like five facts you should know about Anna Curry. And I'm like, okay, I read them. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, not really relevant. She's a person. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's known him a long time, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what's happening now in the case? Because obviously the main person, the murder suspect, is now not with us. Yeah. Well, to talk about Michelle's case, Michelle got a new attorney who brought her back to court. And all of a sudden, it is being known that English isn't her first language. And that she needs a Spanish interpreter, which the prosecution is saying is just a ploy because they're backpedaling now because of all of her conflicting statements that she had previously made. She was Fautis's alibi. They literally said that they were in the shower together. Like, that was their alibi. They were taking a shower together. And then at a later time, she told the state, I didn't see him at all that morning. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know about you but here's a woman who's living in this country successfully she has businesses in new haven or farmington connecticut i don't know the demographic of connecticut but fun fact someone who listens to the show from connecticut wrote us and told me about why like i guess in connecticut anyone can get bail for any crime oh yeah that was on twitter thank you yeah thank you so much unlike in california if you you know, kill people, they can be like, no bail for you. You will stay where you are. So thank you for that Twitter listener. Um, I had written your name down and I lost that slip of paper. Sorry, but thank you. (laughs) But thank you, because I was going to give you a shout out and I cleaned my desk the other day. Damn it. (laughs) The one time. Just kidding. (laughs) I know. If I... If, you know, seriously, like if I left my desk messy, I'd be like, it's right here. It's <laughs> random attorney name. But no, I, I was very grateful for that. Anytime that you guys know something about a particular like local case or like if you're in the area and you get different because like obviously I can no longer read the I think it's the Hartford Observer. I don't know what it is. The Hartford Chronicle. Did you use all your free articles? I did. I used all of them. That's how I have the L.A. Times subscription, right? Right now, because thanks to Miss Betty Broderick, <laughs> right? I'm like, I just no, I don't want to. Uh, Hartford Chronicle, like I just, I don't think I can subscribe. I don't even subscribe to the Sacramento Bee. Yeah, my boss does, and she sends me interesting stuff. Like, there you go, copies and pastes it for me, which is how I know I was super glad because in real time, this is the tenth. So happy birthday, Bo! My brother's birthday. Happy birthday. But Friday is Valentine's Day and my husband was wanting to do something romantic yet also kind of on par for us. There's this like murder mystery party on this like old timey boat. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how would you like doing this? And I was like, Mm-mm. and he's like, why? I'm like, because the Sacramento Bee said they shut it down for rats. <laughs> I ain't going there. <laughs> they just was like si- sidebar and you all have to listen, whatever. <laughs> They did a whole like investigative sting around Sacramento and they were like closing places down. I was like, oh, the gross I eat there. Oh, gosh. I don't need to know. Oh, Sacramento. 
But anyway. But back to Connecticut. Back to Connecticut where things are happening. So Michelle has gotten a new lawyer. She's got an interpreter. They're saying that all of the conflicting stories is about the language barrier. She pled not guilty. She asked the court if she could get her ankle monitor removed. And they were like, no. Another thing the state is arguing is that she violated the no contact order with Fautis before he committed suicide, like through a third party. So like she told somebody to say something to him and probably vice versa. However, on this article, I think it's like a local news station. It's like News 8. They did an interview with former Connecticut Chief State Attorney Christopher Moreno, and he basically said that at any point in time now, if Michelle wants to cooperate, it's only based off of her previous cooperation, like she's trying to cut a deal, because when Fautis died the main murder suspect, like she can't like, she can't roll on him now. She can't be like "Mm, snitching because he's not here. However, there, he did say that there is one thing that she could do, which could save her is if she could point to where Jennifer's body is, then she might be able to make a deal because she could state the reason she knows where the body is, is because Fautis like took her to it or told her where it was. And that is, according to the former states or chief state's attorney, this is her bargaining chip. I don't know what her new fancy attorney is going to do, but he seems pretty like wound up and ready to go and to fight for her. And her previous attorney, he did kind of seem very laid back and not like a go-getter. This guy really thinks Like, you could tell he's like, no, my client is innocent and I'm going to prove it. But it's like, if you read, like, I didn't read her arrest warrant, but I'll link them if you guys want to read them too. But I mean, just based off of his arrest warrant, like, she's mentioned numerous times throughout, like, tons of times throughout it. And they even talk about, like, the script alibi, like how their alibis always sound super rehearsed and super scripted and then they change and they're conflicted and all this stuff. So yeah, that's with her. With Kent, there really isn't an update. I don't think he's gone back to court yet. But what Moreno says is that Fautis's death won't affect his case at all because it's like conspiracy to commit murder. And like one of the big things against him is the fact that the property that he had access to, like he dug the six foot hole for and everything like that, like essentially like a body dump. However, there's been some kind of like interesting stuff happening like adjacent to the case. Two people were arrested for trespassing on Fautis's property, like at his home. The police were like patrolling. And when they came around, they could see that there were two cars parked like behind the garage so that you couldn't see them from the street. And when they found them, they claimed that they were there to write. They were writing a book about this. And so that's why they were there. But they were obviously trespassing, so they were arrested. That's really stupid. So today, February 10th, it's always something interesting when we go to record about this case. It pops up. Right. A a 31-year-old man by the name of Adam Davenport was arrested for second-degree harassment because he's been systematically harassing Norm Pattis and Kevin Smith, who were Fautis's attorneys. Mm -hmm. Over several months, starting in, like, they began in September, he would call them. Like, it first was, like, in September, he started calling them saying, like, you better watch yourself in the parking lot. And then like in February or in October, it escalated to like Smith isn't safe, nobody's safe type situation. And so basically he was just calling and harassing. So he has been locked up 
for second-degree harassment. He will be in court on February 21st. But it's only a misdemeanor, so who knows what this dude's going to get, really. Oh. It's a little crazy. Like, he basically said that he was making the calls and he said he was only joking. But that's a pretty serious thing to do to continuously call someone and harass them, especially around such a high-profile case. Right. This is where we're at right now. As of yet, they have not found Jennifer's body. They don't know. And this is where, like, the waters get really mucky is because it's a no-body case, so it's all circumstantial evidence. Well, I don't think it's circumstantial evidence because, like, obviously, like, his DNA is literally found where her DNA is found. It's not really hearsay. I don't know. This case is like still going to unfold because obviously Michelle and Kent still have to go to court. They still have to have their time. I'm really hoping that if Michelle knows something about Jennifer and like her whereabouts, that she will speak up. I mean, I know that I don't like the idea of anyone getting a plea deal for something like murder, but I just feel like there are five children. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other family like Jennifer's family and her kids. Like I know Jennifer is presumed dead and at this point she'd have to be to be away from her kids this long. So it's a likely assumption or a likable assumption, I should say. Mm -hmm. But it's like hard as I keep going back to like the real victims of this crime are their five children. It's it's so sad because Fout has had an opportunity. Like if he was really innocent, he could have fought, maintained his innocence. And then his kids eventually we're going to become of age. He could have held out and like through appeals process or, you know, maybe if, and I say if in in quotes and like with a big if, because I'm pretty sure he did it because of the evidence that they have with his warrants and everything. If he's innocent, one day they could actually catch the murderer. Things, people, that has happened. You know, I think that in that case, there's always hope. Mm -hmm. I really hope that, those children find peace and that Jennifer's family find peace. And I know this might sound weird, but I hope that Fautis's family finds peace because this affects their life just as much because like you think about his parents, like I don't even know if they have access to their grandchildren at this point. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, I know they live in Greece and that's like his family's overseas, but I also feel like, I don't know, I just, I feel, I feel sad about this case. Yeah. And there's better ways to handle things for sure. Yeah. That wraps it up for us today and we will catch you back on Monday for a regular episode. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.